Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Marketer's Mindset Podcast. We have Dennis Yu of Blitzmetrics out from Los Angeles. Dennis, first of all, thanks for joining again because we just did a workshop together. <laughs> so now we're, we're back for like part two, sort of. Are you yeah, there? I'm here. Okay. All right. Let's jump right into this. Um, first thing I want to ask you is what is it do you actually do and how do you guys make revenue? We create jobs. So I'm basically the digital marketing pimp or the world's highest paid VA that attracts hundreds of thousands of other VAs. And the more other agencies and other businesses that need virtual assistance to process their content, need help, then the more we're able to win. So we're a Fiverr affiliate. We're an affiliate of a lot of the AI tools out there. So the more we teach how to hire VAs by open example, the more we show how we use different tools, the more we publish books, like this is the number one best-selling book in social media on Amazon. It's on TikTok ads. Oh, that's- And we do TikTok ads because that's how we wrote the book, but we can't do everyone's TikTok ads. So agencies that have gone through our training and they can do TikTok ads, all the leads that come in, we push out to those folks. So we are kind of like a market maker. So even though we do operate an agency, we do make a little bit of money off of speaking and coaching and training and that kind of stuff. Our main thrust is creating jobs and create jobs because we publish exactly how we do everything we do. I was just on a call 10 minutes ago with my friend Atiba de Souza, and he started with us a few years ago, and now he's got 17 virtual assistants in his agency following our processes, one minute video, dollar a day, which you probably have heard about. Yes. And that's great. So they're all partners of ours is the way we see it. And the more successful he is, because I was just on his podcast. The more I'm able to elevate him, the more I can talk about, you know, Chad of Dash Clicks because we've done videos together. So I'm a big fan of co-creating content with other people that are well-known in their particular industry. And then when they win, we win as an affiliate or a partner. Hmm. That is really an interesting way to put it. And I've never really had anyone say it like that before. So you, you aren't really in the marketing business. You're in the job creation business. I'm a job creation guy. And I'm an original search engine engineer. I built the analytics at a search engine 20 something years ago. I'm getting old now. And I, I have an engineer's mind. I'm not a marketer, but the engineer in me is always looking at processes, looking at ways to scale things, looking at ways of documenting, looking at how TikTok and Google decide what content to show where and what drives conversion and how do you optimize based on the data. Yeah. And we're applying that to the job market because digital marketing is full of trash right now with a lot of people saying whatever, and let's hop on a 15 minute call and see if we can drive you more leads. Like, are you kidding? That's a used car voodoo snake oil salesperson way instead of, hey, there's a process to see to actually x-ray your business and see where the broken bones are and fix it according to documented processes, not magical witchcraft. Hmm. So it's, I mean, well, cause I guess in, in a practical sense, it's easy to sort of just get someone on a call and just do a sales process, right? Just be good at well, that's sales. What do. They spend 90% of their time trying to sell people. You should spend 90% of your time on delivery hmm. because when you deliver, your customers talk about you. They refer you. Even if you don't do any marketing, they will refer you. 
Our entire base of business has come through referral, zero cold calls, zero cold emails, zero outreach, zero. Let's hop on a 15 minute call. None of that. It's all referral. So it's, it's almost like you are really focused in on not what the service is, not what the beginning stages are. It's how do we get you to the point where you need more people in your business? Therefore, they're going to have to scale and hire more people. Is that we kind focus of... on the result? Exactly. The podcast I was just on was entrepreneurs, solopreneurs. They're trying to get out of the day-to-day of repetitive stuff. They need SOPs and virtual assistants. No one wants to hire virtual assistants. No one wants to use these different tools or build SOPs. I mean, I guess some people, they like doing stuff like that. People want freedom. They want to be able to know that certain things are being done reliably without them having to be involved and keep pushing along the way. Like no one wants a a hammer. They want the the nail, right? No one wants the shovel. They want the hole. They they want the result. Mm. So if you show how you've achieved that result, other people will buy whatever tools or equipment you've used to achieve that result. That's why we were talking before you press record. A lot of people buy the mud coffee. It's because they yeah. trust that figurehead in achieving that result. They respect that figurehead. Colin Wayne Ehrman sent me a picture yesterday of him wearing one of our shirts. And I posted oh, that cool. on social media. Colin Wayne Ehrman has millions of followers. He's a fitness influencer. He's got big muscles and he runs the world's largest home decor company. So he's got a huge audience, but he is the, I made a post about him because he sent me this picture and I'm like, wow, I'm going to post it. And I did. And I said, this guy is the model entrepreneur who's an influencer, cares for his family and has that lifestyle that everyone wants to have, but Mm. somehow he's able to pull it off. And he went from nothing from being, you know, hit by a missile strike in Afghanistan and being told he would never be able to live, like he was going to die and never be able to walk. And then he turned into a fitness model. I mean, wow, what's like a movie kind of story. And I said, I should learn from this guy. And so by uplifting people like that, that makes me look good. Then people can see my relationships with other people where I'm, you know, spending time at his house and we're eating chicken wings together, but we're demonstrating. And it's not just like, oh, look, I'm hanging out with these famous people. It's, Colin, how did you scale your, your e-com business from nothing to $100 million a year? How did you That's run crazy. business ads? How did you decide what was going to work? How did you hire people? So we're documenting exactly how that's being done. And in the process, he looks good because he sees that I'm sharing this with my audience and then he makes me look good. So yeah, I'm never having to say anything about me because if I'm talking about me, I'm a douchebag. I'm a self-promoting a-hole if I just talk about how good I am, right? Because I could talk about how awesome Daniel Matthews is. And that's way better than Daniel Matthews talking about how awesome Daniel Matthews is, right? Unless so it's me in front of a mirror, then it works. <laughs> yeah. I'm, so he, he's talking about me. So if you do a Google search, you'll see all the things he said about me. Yeah. Then you'll see all the things I've said about him. So when you- us, us doing marketing, we should always be focusing on how do we do things that will get other people to say good things about us in an, in an you know, authentic kind of way. It's almost like you're always researching, continued education. It's always like you're immersing yourself, you're networking, you're learning, you're learning new things. It's kind of like you don't, it's like you know that you don't know everything. So therefore you are, pursuit, so you're in the pursuit of always trying to, it's like that, who said that? The more you learn, the more you realize how much you don't know. Yeah, There's, everyone has said that in different ways. Yeah. So my, my buddy, Matthew Janusek is going to be here in town in a week. Mm-hmm. And this guy is arguably the most connected guy in the world of fitness. 
He's the CEO of a global equipment company. So if you go into any gym, you'll probably see his equipment. It's Escape Fitness. He's interviewed the CEOs of 24 Hour Fitness and Rogue, Olympic athletes, gold medalists. Like he's yeah. like the who's who. He's interviewed all the big people on his podcast, all the big entrepreneurs, you know, Bradley, Ed Milet, whatever, right? Oh, and but, my, he lives right next to me, actually. Oh, very cool. All right. Yeah. Like the- I was in Newport just uh, three days ago. Oh, awesome. You yeah. got to come say hi, but by the way, next time you're down here. Dude, yeah, I'd love to. I love Newport. Yeah. And anything right. in Orange County. I love Orange County. It's pretty awesome. Well, it's way better than flying into LAX, which is a zoo. Yes. Have you been <laughs> to San Juan Capistrano? Yeah, that's a, it, it's an Amtrak stop. Yeah, that's where I'm at right there. Okay. Yeah, there's a nice little downtown there. Yeah, cool. it's cool. Well, it, that has built out to be really, really cool now. So it's even better. But yeah. when did you, so when did you like start doing all this? 30 years ago. Yowzers. 30 years ago? And did you just, yeah. did you just fall? Like, how did you, well, you were an engineer before and you just knew kind of, you were just in it. And then how did you transition into what you do now? I learned when I was an engineer at Yahoo that beyond the bits and bytes and server logs, we had 13 terabytes of data per day in our server logs of all the things that people were searching for. And people that were signing up for Yahoo Personals, creating a profile because they wanted to get married or go on dates or whatever, or they were, you know, they, they had Yahoo Mail and they were doing whatever inside their mail. I was looking at people's mail. I mean, you know, it was whatever. I'm an engineer. I'm looking at all this stuff. And I realized that beyond the 250 million people that are going about their day to day using Yahoo Mail and Yahoo Search and Yahoo horoscopes and like all the different Yahoo products that we had, sports and finance and whatnot, yeah. That these people, they, you ever seen the movie, not movie, the, um, the, the TV series Westworld? No. It's the idea that there's these robots and you can't tell like who's a robot or who's human because the technology is so advanced and they have this whole theme park where these oh. guests come and they can shoot and live in this fantasy world because you don't really know who's a robot. Anyway, there's all these twists and turns about who's really human and who's not. But the thing that struck me about this, whether or not you're into sci-fi or not, is whether humans have free will or are they stuck in loops? And what you learn from Westworld as the TV series, was they just started season four two weeks ago, which I haven't caught up on, is that the, 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 the punchline without giving things away about this series or Altered Carbon or these other ones where these robots are like humans, is that the, the, the robots were actually more human than the humans because these humans were stuck in loops. Uh-huh. And what I learned from observing behavior, looking at the Yahoo search data, and I think I'm one of maybe 10 people in the world that had this level of access to data just because, I mean, a lot of people can say whatever they want, but I sure. have credibility from having looked at this kind of data. I would see like a teacher, for example, and they would check their stocks in the morning then they would, you know, you wouldn't see them during the day because they're teaching or something. But maybe at lunchtime, they would do a search from, you know, Orange County to Cancun for a, a vacation or something. Yeah. And then in the evening, you'd see them check their mail or whatever. And then 10 o'clock at night, when the husband's gone to bed and the kids are away, they open up the internet and they, they search for something else. And, they, and you see every evening, they do that same search again. And you'll see priests do this. And this is a third of the internet, right? A third of the internet 
we're searching for these words. I'm not going to tell you what they are, but you can imagine what they are. You can kind of guess. Yeah. And I talked to my friends at Google and I said, is this what you guys see too? Like, yep, it's 35% of our revenue, stat too. And wow. it's not just people who are, you know, perverts. It's not just people, it's, it's everything. And so you see people are in loops. And when I realized this hmm. 20 some years ago, I realized, you know what? People are not any different. People have not changed. You think people change, but they don't. And you can tell story after story about how people don't change. And when I look at buying patterns, because I'm looking at it as an engineer of when people buy and why they buy, they buy because other people that they look up to also buy. So it's monkey see, monkey do. Yeah. And I started to see these patterns at scale. And when Facebook came online and they gave us access to their API in 2007, and I was one of the largest users of the API, I had literally a hundred times more data than Cambridge Analytica did. And Cambridge Analytica got in trouble for supposedly having data, but they only had data from 30,000 users. I had 200 million users worth of data of Facebook. And I saw the same patterns. Really? When this whole nonsense came down on Farmville and scam. Farmville. (laughs) All that stuff. I got summoned to Washington, D.C. by the Federal Trade Commission. Uh I thought, oh man, I'm going to jail. Because I wrote an article on TechCrunch uh-huh. in 2009, which was one of the most popular articles ever on the internet. And it was how to spam Facebook like a pro. And I explained how the algorithm worked and how people behave and how spam works and how the whole monetary system works. Hmm. But the bottom line was I explained that the, the ads that, that work the most, we ran 100 million impressions a day, which is more than anyone else on our own ad server. This is before Facebook ads became a thing. We built our, our own ad server. We were serving personalized ads with your name and your picture and all that. If you remember those ads, like who has a crush on you and what's your IQ? Those were yes, yes. our ad server. I built the ad server for that. Oh my gosh. Me and another Yahoo engineer built the, the guts of that because we understand you know, how to play with large volumes of data and build sure. ad servers. Not many people know how to build ad servers. They know how to run an agency or you know media or they're a publisher and they're making money on AdSense, but not many people know how to build an ad server like we did. And we learned that people would, and this is what I shared with the Federal Trade Commission when they summoned me in. Hmm. I said, when we show an ad that says Daniel Matthews likes this, and we show this to your friends, because we had that data on Facebook, yeah, then people were 10 times more likely to buy because they were 10 times more likely to click on it and it had more trust. And so we started to show ads, not based on you know whether they were a parent or whether they lived in Alabama or whether they like to go to the movies or like the kind of targeting that most people use. We started to use targeting based on who they were friends with. And we found that that signal of who they were friends with Hmm. was a much stronger conversion signal than anything else. And that taught me that social data is not about collecting like what brand of coffee they like or like tracking their GPS or all these creepy sorts of things. It's tracking the trust they have of their relationships because people will want to do what their other friends are doing. Hmm. So back when we were making a ridiculous, we were making almost six figures a day running these ads. Mark Zuckerberg got mad at me, which is a whole nother story. That's why he doesn't like me. People say like, Oh, does Mark Zuckerberg know me? I said, Mark Zuckerberg hates me. So he does though. (laughs) He hates me. Yeah, of course. So we found that if, if we had one particular FB user ID, and it was an 18-year-old female in Alabama. There's a high probability if we looked at her friend circle that they'd also be 18-year-old 
black females in Alabama or whatever. People, I know that we live in America where it's the land of freedom and all this kind of stuff, but people tend to hang out with other people that are just like them. And so that's why you hear like, oh, you're the sum, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with or change your yeah. circumstance and don't, don't just try harder, change who, your environment. All the motivational speakers say this kind of stuff. It's because we learned from the data that people like to be stuck in their loops. There's comfort in the loop. Cause you know, the root of the loop is this pattern that you're in and the people just love waking up. Like old people love being in the loop. They wake up at seven, they do their morning walk. They have their eggs scrambled huh. exactly this particular way. They just yeah. love that kind of predictable pattern. They fill people, up their hummingbird feed, hummingbird yeah. feeder, you know? Yeah, they, they read the newspaper while they drink yeah. their coffee or they, whatever it is. They just love these oh. habitual sorts of patterns. And what I've learned, and this is going to sound really insulting, but 90 plus 95% of people, they like this security of being able to go through these patterns because it's predictable. There's no some, there's, there's not some like weird surprise, some bad thing that happens. Like they love the paycheck yeah. that comes in direct deposit every week. Yeah. And so people like that are easy to sell to. Because you already know what their purchase behavior is. You already know how to sell to them because you just have to find other people that are like that. And then things like Facebook ads, which is based on lookalike audiences, same thing for TikTok ads or you know, optimizing to the campaign objective is yeah. literally looking for other people that follow those same loops. And if we see other kind of behavior or attributes that are associated with people who are like these people who have bought, then the system just optimizes for you. And so that's most people. That but is really five percent of people that don't fit in that, and these are entrepreneurs, these are serial killers, or people who don't who don't fit in society. And those people are more difficult because you can't easily build an audience around them, unless you're like a motivational speaker and you know you're targeting salespeople who I don't really consider to be entrepreneurs because they're salespeople. So instead of targeting a specific interest like hummingbirds. Uh -huh. which a lot of people have. Yeah. We're actually targeting, that's just one thing inside their loop. We really need to figure out the person's loop. Yeah, find the loop. So one of my friends owns Hummingbirds Unlimited and they have a bunch oh. of these stores and they sell bird seed <laughs> and they the sell, what? What are the chances? Humming, I use Hummingbird. Yeah, I've looked at their email example. marketing. So they've increased their email marketing. They've started to repurpose content in social. Yeah. They're featuring these old white ladies that have the backyard bird feeders and the, you know, different J's and, and um, what are those? The yellow finches will come. All these different oh, yeah. finches yeah. will come. You, you have different kinds of seed that attract different animals and squirrels come and steal all your seed. There's all these different kinds of stories that, that you can tell. Mm. And so instead of targeting 55 year old white women or retirees that like to have humming bird feeders or, you know, socks in the back. Yeah. Share stories. And when you share video mm. of these stories, the algorithm will do the targeting for you. So targeting is dead on all the social networks because Whoever engages with the content sends the signal to target for the other people that the ad will be exposed to. I see. So really, it's more important that you have your at your assets, copy, offer, so on and so yep. forth. Yep. No need point. to target anymore. That died three years ago. So you literally could just turn, like, it's really just right. run an Everything ad, no fraud. targeting. Anyone in e-com, anyone doing lead gen, if you have a clear signal 
of who is buying and you can feed that back in because you have conversion tracking tied to your Google Tag Manager with the event tracking setup. I'm talking like an engineer, but you pass all the data back. The system will run ads for you and you run on broad. Holy boogers. Yeah. And you look at Google Performance Max, same thing. It's copying elements of Facebook. Wow. You're just running on broad. You do no targeting. Now, that's not really a bad thing, though. I could see some people listening to this going, oh, my God, no more targeting. This is not a good thing because now it's going to level the playing field. Like, how do we compete? Well, it's sort of just like how ads worked always. Like, it depends Anytime on how good it is. Instead of thinking like, oh, well, I know better than the algorithm. Mm. No, you don't. You're, you're cutting your arms off. You're putting the algorithm yeah. straight jacket. Yeah. So one of the companies we worked with for almost seven years was the United States Concealed Carry Association. So if you have a gun, you're going to want some protection in case you get sued, in case like the police arrest you, like you're going to want help because it's not covered by your homeowner's policy. Yeah. So we thought that we knew who the ideal buyer was. And when we started, they were making $6 million a year and we targeted Bob, you know, Bob believes in the second amendment and he wants to protect his family. And he's like, you know, he. He's, you know, he's, he's a patriot. He likes Donald Trump. And we had built this whole story about Bob, right? Yeah. And Bob is a guy, not that he, you know, maybe he'll go hunting once in a while, but he's not like a gun fanatic with like 50 guns, mm. but he's like a traditional conservative. And that, that, that is 70, 80% of the base of people who are members of the United States Concealed Carry Association. So all of our ads targeted Bob and we filtered for mail and 35 plus and all, and which seems to make sense, right? Sure. Then we saw that Facebook would convert, Facebook would do the targeting for us because we were optimizing to ROAS and cost of acquisition. Mm. So then we ran untargeted and the performance was better because guess what? There are females that like guns too. Yeah. There are people in all sorts of different situations that want to protect themselves. And it would right. be racist or discriminatory to assume that Bob is the only one who's going to be now Bob is the most common type within that membership. Yeah. Or we assume it's people who are higher income and they own their own house. No, there's people who live in apartments who are lower income who will purchase. So I think it, maybe I was telling you, or I don't think I didn't tell you, but one of my friends, Matthew, he runs escape fitness. He's the CEO of a global yeah. fitness company and they have equipment all over the world. Hmm. And he thought, well, this equipment is really expensive. So the people that bought his equipment during COVID were people who lived in houses that looked like mansions because they could afford to build their own gym and pay for the very best. So right. people who are going to buy like free weights or whatever on Amazon, they would see the weights, the, the, the bumper plates or whatever from Escape Fitness. It's like $100 a, a dumbbell. Like Why would you pay $100? Well, because you want the best because sure. this is what the pro athletes are using and whatnot. So that's what we thought. We thought, let's target higher income. Because that is true. Like if you're going to pay for some premium stuff, you're probably higher income. Yes. I was wrong. How many of us know someone who has like an expensive sports car or an expensive hobby, like a $5,000 mm -hmm. guitar, but they, they still rent and, you know, they're making $50,000 a year, but they have a $5,000 right. guitar. Yeah. And, and so there are people who are fitness huh. fanatics. And they want the very best, even though it technically is sort of like outside of the range of their budget, but that's the one thing that they do. They have that one hobby, that one thing they do. So us by assuming it was only higher income, us assuming it's only for world-class athletes or it's only for whatever it is, we were cutting 
the ability of Google and Facebook to optimize and find conversions for us by saying, nope, you can only fish inside this pond. Mm. Instead of like fish anywhere, just get us conversions at at least a, a three ROAS. I don't care where it comes from. Just you, you as the algorithm know better than we do. We're going to feed yeah. the content in, but you do all the optimization. And that's what's happened with TikTok. There's no targeting in TikTok. That is true. You're right. Which was, which is shocking if you don't know this, because when you jump in, you're like, wow, their targeting sucks. They don't Dude, have Yeah. It's like anything. basic demographic interest targeting. Like people like movies or sports. Like, no, that's, I can't do that. So you just, don't even, that's, that's a sucker punch for brands that just want to target people who watch TV shows or something. Mm. So that is really interesting. I sort of had an assumption like that where they have these systems. They're not dumb. So if you don't target, I mean, it sort of is just going to take, take over and just put it to the right place. Anyways. I mean, isn't it's similar to like SEO where you think you kind of have control and I guess sort of at least to whatever Google gives you or what you think you have. But for the most part, Google kind of just puts you where you need to be anyways. It's based on what the users tell us. It's not based on what you want or what you would like to do. Google will decide what the best results are. Google will, will recommend whatever that you watch this one YouTube video, they're going to recommend whatever the next video is. And you can't force them to do that. You can say you would like to have these particular site links, but you can't force those. And the same thing for all the social networks, they're going to do what's best for the user, of course, because their ad revenue is driven off of what the user, the, the better the user sessions are, the longer they stay, the more money they're going to make. Anytime it's free for the user, the network is going to prioritize to the user experience. So a lot of people say, well, Mark Zuckerberg's just trying to extract as much money from advertisers as possible. And that's why our reach has gone down on our pages. Right. Not true at all. It's because your content sucks. Okay. So that went back, that goes back to kind of what I mentioned before then which was it, it really is all about how well you design your ad campaign. Yeah, in, in your content sucks. That, content. That's why your ad campaign doesn't convert. When we look at I've audited thousands of campaigns. Has nothing to do with targeting. No, that's the first thing people think is about targeting. Okay, fine. Retargeting does work well, but retargeting dries up real quick. Brand yeah, search well, dries up real quick. SEO, you're limited on that, okay? Mm. So do you go after like the clients you currently have, do you, do you go after a certain industry or niche, or is it pretty much just, you are able to kind of apply like a, in a fundamental way with the tactics that you have and stuff like that to really most businesses or any, I don't care about the industry. What I care about is who can get us the ingredients that we need to fit to feed the system. Right? So what we need to put into the system is a clear signal of conversion that is driven from happy customers that are talking about using that product or service. And if we got a lot of that, then it's a matter of, it's, it's just like, do you have a Keurig machine, for example? Like, you know what these things are, right? A Keurig yeah, machine? Yeah, yeah. I don't and have you, one, you but I know what they are. So I have one right here, but you put a pod in yeah, and you press the button and then the system does the brewing and all that kind of stuff. I don't have to worry about all this other stuff. I literally put the thing in, press yeah. the button and it brews coffee and I can make as many of them as I want and whatever flavor I want, I put the different pod in. So I don't have to hope and pray. I will get what I want. I know that when I wake up in the morning, I put the thing in, right? I want Kona black. That's what I'll get, right? Hot chocolate, green tea. I put the thing in. That's what I'm going to get. There's no question, right? Same is true if I'm using Facebook ads or TikTok ads or Google ads. If I can put in the right capsule, meaning 
I have my digital plumbing set up. So my conversion tracking, the events that are tied inside yeah. Google Tag Manager that's tied to GA4 instead of Google Analytics Universal. Mm-hmm. I'm, I've got conversion tracking and auto tagging enabled with wherever I'm buying the, the inventory. And I'm putting in 15 second video creatives that align with the landing page that clearly has already worked. If people are already buying and there's a signal coming through and I've got social proof of this, then I can pretty much guarantee the ad campaigns are going to convert. But if it's in an industry or some client where they have a new product and there's mm-hmm. no signal or they're a new company or it's an entrepreneur where they don't really have a business model and it's not really clear exactly. And they, they, the evidence will be like, they say they do everything or like they're an agency and we, we do everything. We do PPC and SEO. We do it for anybody. And like, you don't have a clear, there's no clear signal of who's buying and why they're buying. And then the system can't figure out who it is. That's mm. what we call a dog's breakfast, right? Agencies suffer from this because when they first get started, they, they'll take anybody because they need the money. Like their mom's friend is the real estate agent. Great. We'll take, oh, so-and-so yeah. has a restaurant. We'll take you on too. So-and-so is B2B. Yeah, sure. We can do that too. Oh, can you do TikTok? Yeah, yeah. We can do that too. Hell no. We've got to have one clear signal of, of one particular type of customer and many of that same type of customer that continues to buy. Yeah. So I think about digital marketing as an amplifier of whatever you put into the thing, right? So if if I have a system that's already generating, you know, $100,000 a month through, you know, a coffee, let's say they're selling coffee or whatever it is, like we're both drinking coffee right now. Yeah. And I know that I can double or triple that. But if it's a business that's only getting a couple conversions a month, what's the value of doubling or tripling that? Not really much. And they're not going to pay us much because the incremental ROI is not very good. So you want to take companies that are relative, I don't want to say established, but they have, you know, they have 50 conversions per ad set per week, or they have a clear signal of digital conversion. So the algorithm can get more of the same. So it's also, it's also not just the ad you design, but it's also making sure you have the right food to feed the platform you're on but more specifically google it does this yeah or like all do the same pretty much they all do the same thing same algorithm yep hmm. and look at what happened with performance max if that's proof enough so how do you how do you what does your sales process look like when you have clients and stuff you probably vet them and then do you just have to sure. we, we publish all of our training we yeah. publish our how-tos we think of ourselves like we talked about earlier as like being emergency room surgeons. So uh, like me as an emergency room surgeon, I'm not here to try to convince you that you need surgery. You came into the emergency room. So clearly you are in pain, budget authority, need timing, whatever you want to call it, right? Sure. I'm here to diagnose what the issue is and then make a recommendation. Well, Daniel, here's a look at the x-ray. And based on the x-ray, it looks like you got a broken collarbone and this other thing, we're going to do surgery. It's going to cost this much. And here's the total bill. You're not going to say, well, well, Dennis, I'm going to go shop around at five other hospitals. You're not going to come into the emergency room, Daniel, and say, can you, can you bring, can you line up every single surgeon, like a heart surgeon and a lung surgeon and a brain surgeon and a thoracic surgeon. And I want to talk to every oh, single God. surgeon and show me every kind of surgery you do. And I'll see whether I want to buy one of the surgeries or not. Could you imagine? Well, we still have four other hospitals to look at. So we'll let you know. Okay. You're like, all right. No, if you're, if what happens if, so let's say, Daniel, you run the emergency room, okay, yeah. the local hospital. And then I come in and I'm bleeding and I say, Daniel, 
I need heart surgery. Can you go ahead and, and line up the heart surgeons and I'll decide which one I want to pick? Oh, no problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but, I'm, but I'm bleeding. Or, you know, maybe I ate some really spicy Mexican food. And I think I have a, I think I need, a, you know, I need heart surgery. Sure. But you do, you know, you do a little analysis and you realize I just have heartburn. I don't need heart surgery. Or right. let's say I'm actually having a heart attack and right. I believe I just need a, I just need, you know, heartburn medication. What are you going to do? Well, none of this, none of this would work. Healthcare would not work if you didn't diagnose or the preliminary tests you have to do to even diagnose. So this is what we do when people come in and they want help before we ever make any kind of recommendation, which is like a prescription or, or whatever it is. Sure. Diagnosis has to happen first, right? We have to collect the data, right. analyze it, and then we can make a recommendation. Even if the client comes in and says, I already know what the condition is. I've already diagnosed myself. Uh, well, that's that great, but we, we're going to also look at the data ourselves and take a look at it because, you know, no offense, usually when the client self-diagnoses, they're wrong. Because I, I had one yesterday who said, oh, we need to do all this. We need to spend 20 grand on a new website because this guy who does SEO said, I need a new website. And I looked at it. We got access to the analytics and whatnot. And I said, I don't think you need a new website. I think the website's just fine. I think the issue is you don't have enough content. I don't think building a new website solves that. You, you got the wrong diagnosis. This guy was pre-assuming because he, he builds websites. He just assumes you should build a new website. Yeah. You have a hammer, everything's a nail. Well, maybe it's not what you need. I completely understand what you're, what you're t talking about because I have had those situations before too. And then for some reason, even if you show them the proof, they're just deny it. They're like, no, 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 it's not that. Then go to the witch doctor across the street. Get yeah. out of my hospital because this there, is the way to operate here. Oh, gosh. There is a really cringy story I have to share with you. So uh, I worked with a certain company. I'm not going to name them because I'm sure they'll find me somehow. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> a couple of years ago, I had my marketing agency. I don't have, I don't do that anymore. I do other things. And one, it was a large vitamin company. You could probably figure it out if you, uh, you know, it's one of the yeah. large ones Yeah. and they were not doing very well. And actually they were not doing well, like at all. They were losing sales. They were just on a downhill spiral mm. and they thought the solution to this. Now keep in mind, I'm hinting that it's vitamin because that means their website is freaking huge. Like right. massive. Okay. They thought spending a million dollars, probably more to redesign the site was the solution. Kind of right out of the gate from that statement as a marketer and your experience and stuff, you sort of question and go, well, maybe, most likely not, but let's just look at it first. Sure, yeah. So they spent that. They ended up not hiring me and stuff because apparently I asked too many questions. Not a big deal, I understand. But they ended up going with someone a firm that does SEO. And so my thought was, if you don't have the right person helping you and you don't go through the process, you're just like, you're just shooting a gun in the dark, trying to hit the target. And, right. and companies get in this thing where like, they go, we got to do this. Let's do it. It didn't work. Okay. Let's go for this. Let's do that. That didn't work now. So what I'm trying to segue into is like, Everyone's going after the channels, the vehicles, the Google ads. That, that's what it is. It's Google ads. Money object. The quick we're, hack. 
And which is why agencies seem to get it wrong, which is what you mentioned. So they not only get it wrong because they just sell, but they also get it wrong because they just say, oh, we do everything. We do Google ads, we do this, we do that. And they don't realize that, of course, you want to do everything. Because if you diagnose and find something, you build a strategy that might include Google ads. That might include, you know, TikTok ads or whatever. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that's sort of where a lot of agencies are falling short? Because they just kind of offer the solution as just... Google ad campaign, done. Agencies are so quick to sell people on a cookie cutter package that they want to sell the same thing to everybody because they believe that scales. And to some degree, it'll work for verticalized agencies. Mm-hmm. But I think the thing is that young agencies, they're so eager to get business, they'll say yes to anything. And that gets them in trouble. I've talked to a lot of agencies. My buddy Gavin Bell, when he first started his agency doing Facebook ads, he thought Facebook ads was the answer for everything because that's what he learned. So naturally, his yes. recommendation, no matter what the business was, was your answer. Your recommendation is you need Facebook ads. Well, mm-hmm. if you go to a hospital, you could have any kind of problem, right? Think of the thousands of kind of problems you could have. And if you talk to someone who's a heart surgeon, maybe they're going to look at it in terms of they, you know, you need heart surgery. Well, maybe not. Maybe your fingernails just broken, right? Maybe it's something else. Maybe you have a brain problem. And so the the overeagerness of new agencies to want to force people to a solution because they're so eager on selling and closing and all the techniques to get people to psychological techniques to get someone to say yes, which is based on used car selling techniques, ruins their trust and authority and makes them look like some kind of salesperson, scammy, you know, whatever, instead of an expert. So we need to change the vibe in the industry to show that the recommendations that we're making are based on data. They're objective. And it's not just the latest thing like, oh, let's get on TikTok because that's the new hot thing. And everyone else is on TikTok. So I need to be on TikTok too. Well, maybe. You're like, perfect. That'll be $5,000. Imagine (laughs) if agencies that were listening to this realized that the clients will say what the clients will want to interfere because they think they know better. They don't really trust that we have the expertise. And if we ruin our expertise by acting like salespeople, which reinforces their behavior, Mm -hmm. then the client's going to say, oh, well, now work on my personal brand. Now build a new website. Now do, you know, Instagram reels. Now do whatever it is. And and you'll, you as an agency will like, yes, yes, let's do these things. And the client will pay you to do a little bit of this, but they're going to fire you 90 days later because you didn't drive a business result. And guess whose fault it is? at after three months who they're going to blame oh who who the owner will blame oh wait who the agency owner is going to blame the agency the business they will blame the of course every single time even though and i've seen this i've talked to like i told you my buddy gavin bell he had the same issue he took on every single we call that the dog's breakfast they'll like take on anything that moves right even if it's not a fit it's like whatever yeah i'll take them on because i whatever i do facebook ads (laughs) yeah but here's the thing if the owner if that if that client is calling the shots and saying, oh, we're going to do a website. Now we're going to do Facebook ads. Now we're going to, and they, and you willingly do all these different things. You are going to have to pay for yeah. Like they get to make, they make the call and, but you have the accountability. Mm-hmm. No, we say, look, I'm the surgeon. This is the way we do it. This is the way I'm trained. If you trust me as the expert, I'm doing a diagnosis and making a recommendation based on that. This is the way we do it. If you want to make the recommendation, and you believe that, that we should do this kind of surgery on the patient and the patient dies, that's on you. 
So, so whoever calls the shots is whoever makes the decisions on what we do is the one who's responsible. So Mr. Client, all due respect, if you want to decide what you think it is that we have to do, then the end result is also on you. You can't blame me for that. Okay. Because mm. you would never talk back to the doctor when the doctor says, well, Daniel, Daniel, you know, we did the x-ray and you said you had abdominal pain and it looks like it's, you know, you had too much Mexican food and you have gas. I don't know, whatever it might be. You just need to take a Pepto-Bismol and get out of here, right? You're going to trust what the doctor has to say because they did the, took your blood and x-ray and all yeah, that. And then, and then you'll probably eat Mexican food again. And then yeah. you'll be back visiting. <laughs> yeah. So if you're an agency, and I assume you are, if you're listening to this, then you yes. need to step up and realize they're coming to you for expertise. And if they don't trust you in that, in the diagnosis, then they don't qualify to be a client of yours. It's almost the last thing you want is a client who thinks they know because they saw Gary Vaynerchuk or they watched some YouTube video. Now they think they know digital marketing and social media too. Yeah. And they're an expert. Oh, if you're so good, then why'd you come to me? Digital marketing is deceitful, not the people in it necessarily. I'm not really talking sort of talking about not the people necessarily. I mean, that's the whole story there too. But the point is like the digital marketing as like a topic is sort of deceit deceitful because when you kind of, if you're new and you jump into it, especially Looks if you easy, have like resources, it, it yeah. sort of clicks and you're like, whoa, this is so easy. Oh but, yeah. But you dig deeper and it, it becomes kind of complex. The solutions don't have to be complex, of course, but the more you dive into it in any topic, there's like the nuances and there's, it, it, it is complex, but it yeah. is kind of deceiving at first because it does seem so easy. And that's Look, also because it's easy to access all the tools you need. Yeah. You watch Steph Curry shoot three pointers and you think, you know what? I can do all those weird off balance shots too, right? Yeah. Anybody right, right. can do that. And then you try it. It looks easy, doesn't it? It does. So if people see like what I do and they think, wow, that's so easy. I can make all this money doing optimization and running ads, speaking on stage and writing books and yeah making but also the way you explain it is simple and it's clear and it, you can understand it i think that's part but, of it too but it's a little harder than it looks isn't it yeah no doubt <laughs> no doubt i mean you could just throw up an ad and be like there you go i advertise that has yeah, nothing to do during a three-point shot you feel like you could do that too right like you could hold the basketball you could throw it in the general direction you could wear the uniform you could be on the court you know, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make it. it doesn't mean yeah. you're playing on the team. It doesn't mean you're going to win like uh, the cup. Not this. I almost said the Stanley cup. What's the, uh, yeah. the cup that they win. It's the or, NBA championship, but you know, whatever the sport is, right. Yeah. 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 It's the same thing. So what, what is your, I have a few more questions for you. So like, what, what does your pricing model look like if, if I wanted to work with you? Um, like, and I was a potential client, is it after the diagnosis problem? Do you, do you sort of put like a, a, a customized plan together and sort, sort of walk them through what this we, looks like? And we have a menu and the menu is standard in terms of the pricing. So just like hospitals, hospitals should publish their pricing, even though they don't, but they do have standard costs. Yeah. So there's, there's a cost to ride in the ambulance. There's a cost for the x-ray. There's a cost for the anesthesiologist. There's a cost for the yeah. pills. There's a cost for all the different things and it's tallied up and they have standard costs and ours are too. So if a potential client comes in and says, well, I need help driving sales and this is the kind of business that I have, mm. what, what's it going to cost? You know, is it like 5,000 a month or 10,000 a month? And we'll say, well, 
I would love to be able to just throw out a number with, before even looking at your stuff, but we need to do an x-ray and get the blood and whatnot. And then based on what's broken, based on what's working, first off, we'll tell you whether or not we think we can even take you on. And the answer may be no, because let's say that you're Philippe Cadu and you're a San Diego massage therapist. Mm -hmm. And we don't do massage therapists, but we know lots of agencies that specialize just in massage therapists. I'm going to refer you that way. Or let's say that, you know, you are your home services business. And we've got a few clients in home services. They do garage door and whatnot and uh, plumbing, HVAC. Well, I'll ref recommend you to Jonathan Bannister of Cornerstone Marketing because that's what he does. He just does plumbing HVAC businesses and he's done it for several hundred of them and that's what they do. I'll refer you to someone who does just that, even though we have done some of them just because, right? I, I believe that the referral is actually, you, you should refer if you're an agency. I know it's gonna sound ridiculous. If you're an agency, you should refer out more business by far than you take on. Because it's tempting to say yes, but if, yeah. if that's not the thing that you've done over and over again, you're going to result, they're, they're going to be unhappy, they're going to want a refund, they're going to cancel on you in a few months, and then you will regret having said yes, even though you thought you needed the money right then. But that referral will be way happier with you. Yeah, and then I've referred so much business, I should basically just make a whole business just doing referrals. Hey, you but should then, try affiliate but, marketing. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm basically I'm an affiliate without being an affiliate. But then what go. happens What happens when you refer stuff out? Then people know you as the guy. For example, I work with figureheads. So the people that are leaders in an industry and I help them build their personal brand yeah. and then create you know, books and courses and, and hire more VAs and scale up their business on a business that's already working will help them scale that business yeah. and build relationships. So if, if I send out referrals to other people, they're going to send it back the other way because they know what you're good at. So let's say- right. Daniel, that you serve real estate agents and anyone who comes to you and they're not a real estate agent, you're going to refer to the other agencies that serve just chiropractors or serve mortgage brokers or serve whatever it is. But then these other agencies, when a real estate agent comes, they're like, you need to go see Daniel. Right? Right. And so that's the way the whole referral model works. It's sort of an underlying, underlying relationship of trust you have too. So like yeah. they know that you're bringing stuff and bringing them the right people because you know you can't service. And they're, they're noting that that doesn't yeah. go without, you know, being unnoticed. Yeah. And they refer back to you. It's funny because referrals are not necessarily a quote unquote, uh, breadwinning channel of business. Like in this industry, it's sort of like it's the number one channel underlooked the number one channel by far. Any Do you feel like it's underlooked though? All referral. What? Wait, say, that, say that again. Everyone I know that has a successful, longstanding, solid business, the majority of their business comes from referral. Right. No matter what the industry is. That's sort of my point. So it's sort of funny because it, if you're starting off on things, you sort of get hooked into the, I mean, now you, you do multiple things, of course, but referrals sort of seems to not be like the attractive thing because it's not the, the sexy thing to do. But it's probably it's the sexiest thing. SEO is, I mean, it's not like the flash bangy new hack, you know, make millions by tomorrow kind of thing. But, you know, SEO and email marketing, as old as they are, they drive way more money than social media and whatever kind of chatbot crypto hack there is out there. I'm all about the stuff that works, even if it's not as sexy. And there's nothing more powerful and long lasting than referrals.
Well, it, but that it, requires that you have good relationships. It requires that you do a good job. It requires that you actually that. answer the phone and you take care of people. And that's usually well, not that's, for younger adults. And that's uh, that's effort. And that could be years. I mean, that's yeah. sort of reputation building. And that is not an easy thing to do in like a 30 day period. Now, I mean, you might make progress in 30 days, but I mean, for you to be doing this over 30 years, you've set yourself in the industry because you've consistently done it. So you sort of have that credibility and stuff, but you purposely but don't think a lot of people will see that and say, well, I, I don't have 30 years. I need to have, you know, I need to pay rent this month. So right. the referral thing will still work in the short run, but it is compounding. Exactly. Exactly. So the effort you put in now does not go unseen. It'll just happen maybe sometime in the future, but there's other ways you can do with multi-channel stuff that is available. There's other right. things we could do. That's a little quicker. So yeah. blitz metrics, um, for as long as how, for however long that's been in business, um, what kind of revenue are you pulling in for blitz metrics? Like in the past year, <laughs> that's a number I don't disclose, but we'll say it's plenty. <laughs> I retired okay. 20 years ago. I'll just say that. Well, let me put it this way. The reason I'm asking that is not so much the number, but like if you were, if you wanted to hit a new milestone in the next year to hit a certain, whatever that number is, what's like the one thing you think you'd have to change to like hit that next level of revenue or just more clients? If you were planning to that, We up. have to get more international workers in our training. The number one thing limiting our business is the number of qualified workers. If, if I could get 10 times more qualified workers into our system that have gone through our training and are certified, I could handle that business this week. The, 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 amount of, the number of real estate agents and mortgage brokers and home service companies and chiropractors and whatever that are ready to hire folks who are trained is way more than we can currently service. That the bottleneck is people who can do the work because everything is based on performance, it's measurable, it's yeah. tasks, there's analytics behind it. That's the number one factor. It's not how much revenue or margin we have. We make zero profit. Every dollar goes back in the training programs. We might as well be a nonprofit, but for legal reasons, you know, there's all these requirements if you're technically categorized as a nonprofit where you have to sure. file all these different forms. So we're not legally a nonprofit, but we basically are. And, and the way you operate your business is the way that agencies should learn how to operate their. Oh, heck no. Agencies should definitely not try to follow our model. Our model makes no money. We have lost millions of dollars doing this model. Agencies, <laughs> oh, should, agencies should focus on a particular niche, do it really well, partner with other people who do it really well if they haven't done it really well, honor these customers, get a ton of referrals, be known in that particular niche, scale from there, and then later try to do a software company. Later, try to build a personal mm. brand and speak on stage and do those glamorous kinds of things, but make your money first, then you can talk about your success. But if you try to fake your success now and, and with relationships you don't have, it, you're going to be exposed. And You will pay for it later. Yeah, it won't work. Okay. It looks easy. A lot of people think they can follow what I'm doing. It is harder than it looks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for sure it is. I have one more question for you. People who listen to this podcast is kind of a spectrum of people. Majority are like fresh youngins, not youngins, but greenhorns. Okay. Sure. So they're either thinking about starting, maybe they have, maybe they have a few clients. They're kind of just figuring it out. It's them, maybe one other person. Okay. There's people in between, maybe there's making 10,000 a month. Sure. They're looking to hit their 20. And then there's a couple of big dogs and stuff like that. 
But for the majority of the audience who are like new to this, what's like the number one advice you could give them that'll save them like years of wasted time as vague yeah. as that sound? <laughs> it's going to be a tough one, but get to 10 clients all doing the same package, all in the same vertical. Don't, if, if, when you're starting out, the temptation is to take anything that you want. And then you have, you know, seven completely different random clients, all custom negotiated. You can't scale that. And it's tough because you don't want to say no to anything, but the only way to grow from being relatively new and having a few clients is being, a, being able to have a repeatable package on a retainer, like MRR, monthly recurring revenue. So you have to have this one thing that you're known for, a vertical like real estate or auto repair. That's the one thing. Because then once you get that to like 50 clients of the same thing, 100 clients of the same thing, which means hiring VAs and account managers and all that, then you can start diversifying into selling software and all this biz dev partnership kind of stuff. But it doesn't happen until you make enough money serving one particular vertical. And it's tough to say, oh, what vertical should I choose? Or I don't want to focus down on one. If you, st if you stay as a generalist agency, you'll have trouble growing. And until you mm -hmm. focus on one thing and take that to a seven-figure business, that's going to be your challenge. Amazing. That's, that is advice I think a lot of people will, uh, it'll hit home with for sure. Because it is, it is very, like I said before, it, it sort of comes off like this is easy. I have all the tools I need to scale and, and really like get any company that I want to bring on. Yeah. So the advantage is like, it's pretty clear to me. It's you, you're able to specialize in one place. Do you think it also, one, one quick follow-up question, and that's, this would be a good place to stop. Do you also feel like it's, um, maybe not less competition, but it's also easier to like focus and target one, one industry or one niche. Yeah, it is. You want to be known for fine. one thing. That, that's what drives the referrals. If you do five things, then people don't know what you do. You have to be known for one thing. Mm. So you'll really be able to garner referrals by sticking in one place. Cause they all think sort of, about it this way. when you think of Chick-fil-A, what do you think of? Uh, they're really polite. Well, what kind of products do you think of? Oh, uh, fried chicken. Yeah. Do you think of hamburgers and pizza and barbecue ribs and things like that? No. No. They do that one thing. When you go to In-N-Out, you know what you're going to get, right? Good way to put but it. If you do everything, you're a freaking cafeteria. Who wants to go eat at the cafeteria? <laughs> I mean, unless you're Sizzler or something. I don't, they're not, they're no longer. Huh? That's all you can eat shrimp. It's, it's fantastic. fantastic. I, I get what you're saying though. It's just, it's just. And then when you go, you're only going to pick one or two things most likely. Right. Hmm. Yeah. So do that one thing really well. Easier to scale one thing than trying to do 50 things half-ass. Amazing. Well, Dennis, thanks again. This is our second interaction we've had and it's been like mind-blowing. I haven't really said much because I, I just enjoy listening to you and ha having your knowledge just like spill into my brain. Um, <laughs> but Dennis, thank you again. Again, we have Dennis Yu. Um, Blitz Metrics out of Los Angeles. I can't thank you enough. Seriously. Awesome, dude. Let's share the heck out of this thing. Let's help other agencies grow. Absolutely. Thank you.